Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. So yes, I'm Tom and I am the Senior Advocacy Advisor for Joined Up Data Standards at Publish What You Fund. The Joined Up Data Standards project is a joint project which is run by Publish What You Fund and Development Initiatives with support from the Omidyar Network. Both Development Initiatives and Publish What You Fund were involved in the development of the International Aid Transparency Initiative Data Standard, the IATI Standard, um, which was developed to openly track official development assistance spending globally. As a result of our work on that standard, um, the Omidyar Network is now kindly supporting us to explore the challenges um, that arise as a result of a lack of interoperability between data standards in international development processes. Now, this is a very broad area. Um, the idea for this particular project first came about as a result of a, a research paper which was published in 2013, um, which was produced by Development Initiatives and the Open Knowledge Foundation. And that paper scoped data intersections between five transparency initiatives. Um, it argued that although the construction, extractives, aid, and contracting standards operated in different spheres, they shared many of the same building blocks, so georeferencing, organizational identifiers, and sector definitions. Um, and that therefore it was in the interest of both data users and producers for these standards to share, where appropriate, the same methodologies and coding systems. We've now taken this work um, a little further and know that most of these building blocks were developed by global institutions who are the the more traditional curators of international standards. The Joined Up Data Standards project is still fairly new. It was started in August last year, so we've been going for just over a year now. And within this first two-year phase, which runs until about September next year, we're seeking to better understand the challenges that we face. Um, and where possible, we're also working on proposing solutions in a collaborative and inclusive way. And we do this in two ways. Firstly, we use a semantic approach to link up data classifications created by major international standard setting bodies such as the UN, the IMF, World Bank, OECD and others. And secondly, we look at international policy mechanisms as well. What exists at the international level when it comes um, to trying to bring some coherence and um, policy structure to the way that standards are set and what doesn't exist. The overarching objective in a nutshell, basically, in the longer term, is to help make more data into better information that can be used both for decision-making and accountability purposes. And the underlying <laughs> assumption of the project is that interoperability is both a technical and a political challenge. Now, in recent years, there's been a huge increase in the availability of data. However, this availability of data doesn't necessarily automatically translate into more or better use of that data. Um, to take an example, um, approximately a third of data sets currently found on the UK's government po portal haven't been used. We posit that one of the reasons, and you know, admittedly one of many reasons why this may be the case, is that sometimes data on its own has little or no value, and it only starts to make sense when it be can be contextualised um, together with other data and becomes part of a broader narrative and story. 
In this phase of the project, we're trying to explore how this can be done in a bit more detail by working with other civil society organizations, open data standard setters and users, uh, and also reaching out to the global institutions that I mentioned that set international standards. What we're not trying to do, as the slide depicts, is create new standards or even promote the creation of new standards in areas where they already exist, unless there's a very good reason to do so. What we are doing is developing tools that can crosswalk between existing standards. The research methodology of our technical work um, is rooted firmly in semantic technologies um, that use linked data to enable computers to discover and share data. We group standards into projects and then map them out as concept schemes <coughs> in an online repository that we call our thesaurus server, and that's available online uh, at our website, which is joinedupdata.juds.joinedupdata.org, I beg your pardon. It's a public good, and we are urging others to add um, their mappings into it. And if you're interested in finding out more about that, please do get in touch with me after this talk. We, we're currently developing a new user interface for the thesaurus as well to help make it more user-friendly in the longer term. So through scoping research using this method, we've produced a series of four discussion papers to date. Um, each exploring particular challenges within the international development sector. We've looked at how international institutions subdivide the world into a variety of geopolitical and socioeconomic groupings. For example, exploring how they define small island states, SIDS. Um, this may seem a bit abstract, but actually it has real-world consequences. So, for example, although Haiti is accepted as a small island state by most UN agencies, it isn't categorized that way by the World Bank, IMF, and UNCTAD. And this means that it can't access pots of money that they have set aside for small island states. Um, we've also looked at the ways in which sectoral classifications used by the UN and the OECD to define resource flows are difficult to match with indicator classifications. So, for example, the indicators within the Sustainable Development Goal framework. And... I'll be going into that in a little bit more detail in a moment, but just to briefly say that enabling that, so being able to join up uh, data on financial flows to results, uh, to, well, to development results, would make it possible, in theory at least, to track how much money is being spent on achieving a particular um, development outcome, which would be very useful. We've also investigated the data overlaps that occur between competing household surveys, so household surveys which are used by global institutions in developing countries to gather data. There are several of them curated by different organizations. Um, they all produce quite similar information, um, and we've looked at the overlaps that exist there. All of the research that I've just described is available on our website under the discussion papers tabs, and as the name implies, discussion papers. We're always keen to hear others' views and to have conversations about the work that we're doing, so please do feel free to get in touch with us um, about any of the particular papers. Separately to our technical research, but equally important, we've also looked in detail at what policy mechanisms exist at the international level to help coordinate the setting of globally relevant data standards. And related to that, earlier this year we published a consultation paper that aims to start a discussion on what technical and political solutions to joining up data standards could look like. 
This consultation will run till March next year, and in the meantime, we'll be holding a number of events to capture others' thoughts uh, and on our suggestions and to offer their own suggestions about how this could be done. And what we're actually consulting on is a set of three findings and commensurate, commensurate recommendations that we've reached within our consultation paper. And just very briefly, these are that the international policy environment is now conducive to joined up data standards, and therefore standard setting bodies should now commit to making new standards and their components fully compatible with existing standards. Secondly, that turning new principles into practice is of course a challenge, um, and we believe that in order to face that challenge, there needs to be joined up leadership um, in order to drive that change. And thirdly, that technical solutions to the problems we've outlined are already technically achievable, and in fact are urgently needed when it comes to things like implementing the Sustainable Development Goals. I just want to spend a few minutes going into a bit more detail on some of what I've just said um, to highlight some examples that I really believe um, pull out why this is important in a, in a real-world context. Firstly, let's just have a look at the complexity presented when we map the relationship between how international and domestic resource flows relate to each other and contribute to development. As you can see, the uh, data ecosystem is complex, and it becomes more complex if you multiply that by 193 countries, countless sub-districts, etc., etc., countless financial entities, banks, international lenders. Um, it's a very complicated space, and trying to make sense of all of the information that they're producing and how it all relates together is a challenge. Now, just to take it back to basics, most of these flows involve financial transactions. So the amounts of money and the currencies used should be a common starting point when it comes to how information is classified within the different standards that, that lie behind this mapping. Um, but the simplicity ends here, um, in an international development context at least. There are a number of outstanding challenges that we've identified that exist, um, which make it difficult to be able to join up data on different financial flows together. Um, so for instance, there's still no system for identifying institutions or classifying financial flow types, which is commonly used throughout the world. The OECD country codes, um, which are used, are incompatible with codes which are used by the United Nations and the International Standards Organization. And functional sectors, such as health, education, etc., are classified in many different ways by many different organizations. Adding these points to the complexity of the data ecosystem on the slide um, shows that it's very difficult for anyone trying to track international investment or official development assistance or both through the system and work out what has been spent where on what. Overcoming the challenge I've just raised would be a great starting point in helping to... Uh, overcoming, sorry, some of the challenges that I've just raised, which relate to particular institutions and particular things, I think would be a great starting point in helping to solve some of the problems that we face in starting to unravel the complexity of this system. Now, I'm happy to say that we're not the only ones who are exploring the challenges that a lack of joined up data represents for development workers and developing countries. Our friends at Development Gateway in Washington um, recently wrote a great blog for us, um, responding to some of the questions that we posit in our consultation paper. Um, and they've responded to those questions, drawing on some of the work that they've been doing in their results data initiative. They make some great points based on their own research that high highlight real world problems um, and the implications of those problems. Um, 
and I'm going to I'm going to summarize what they said in their blog now because I think that they they do a really good job of highlighting those issues. So, for instance, if you want to address the question of where does data on population growth rates come from, um, if you search, you know, population growth rates in an online uh, search engine, you're likely to find at least three, but three fairly distinct major information sources for this information. You'll come across the World Bank's uh, World Development Indicators. You're likely to come across the CIA's World Factbook. And you're likely to come across the United Nations World Population um, Prospects. All of these have different numbers in them. Uh, once you start to look at it a bit deeper as well, you will see that these three data sources themselves are derived from a number of distinct, yet at times overlapping, sources in their own right. So for instance, if you look at the, the World Bank's world development indicators, um, the data that they draw on comes from the UN Population Division. It comes from census reports and national statistics offices around the world. It comes from Eurostat, um, from the US Census Bureau, and other sources. So it turns out that to find a reliable um, and coherent set of data on what world population growth rates are, something that many of us, I think, would maybe consider a fairly straightforward question, turns out to not be that straightforward. And I think that this really highlights some of the major challenges that exist still in trying to bring together different sources of data in a coherent way. Um, one of the things that we've noticed as a project through our work is that sometimes disconnects exist between what information is deemed crucial at the international level and what information is actually needed for decision-making at a national and sub-national level. And that as a result of this, the data standards and collection systems that are used are often very top-down in nature and primarily serve the needs of international organizations. This doesn't happen all the time, and I'm not saying it's necessarily done intentionally. It's just the way that things have evolved over time. Um, we've observed this within our own research, um, especially our research on household surveys, which, as I've said, are available online. But it's also something that our friends at Development Gateway have highlighted in their research on HIV prevalence and uh, HIV incidence rates in Tanzania. So just to be clear, HIV prevalence is the proportion of HIV cases at any given time. It indicates how widespread the disease is. HIV incidence, on the other hand, is the rate of occurrence of new cases, and it provides information on the risk of contracting the disease in a particular area. The prevalence of HIV in any given country or region is an important piece of information if you're a global policymaker and you want to know what prevalence rates are in particular areas and where you need to direct resources and uh, support on a global level. On the other hand, however, the incidence rate of the disease uh, is what you want to know about in your local district because what that does is it, it indicates what the risk of you contracting HIV is in that particular area. So that's the type of information that a local clinic, for instance, would want to know. Um, what Development Gateway highlight in their research is that often recipients, so clinics which are recipients of international grants um, you know, in developing countries trying to, to actually do this work and gather this data, are required to report back internationally on what HIV prevalence is in their area, but not necessarily incidence. And they have to expend extra energy and resources to then find the incidence rate, which is what they actually need to set their own policies and, and work out what they need to do with their resources at a subnational level. 
Now, whilst both figures are clearly important for, for various reasons, the point that I'm trying to make here, and that I think Development Gateway are also making, is that the needs of international reporting um, currently often come before the needs of local actors. And we believe that this is something that needs to change and that the data should first and foremost serve the needs of local actors. That's not to say that we don't need to know what HIE prevalence rates are, of course we do, but the, if we want to actually see change over time and to promote ownership at national level, surely data first and foremost should serve the needs of those who need it most. And this is particularly true you know, where there are limited resources and capacity issues, which so often there are in developing country contexts. The final point that Development Gateway make in their blog, responding to a consultation paper, is that, <laughs> sorry my notes, um, for national statistics offices and other data gathering agencies, the myriad local, bilateral and multilateral organizations collecting data, often in parallel, can lead to additional interoperability challenges. Incentives for coordination across data producers are weak. It's often easier to create your own fit-for-purpose system than to try and build consensus around interoperability. Obviously, one of the things that you need for interoperability to exist is for those who control the data standards, pardon me, is to give their blessing that their standards can be made interoperable with other standards and to open up their metadata and methodologies because that's the information which is really needed to make this a reality. Um, and I think that this point on, on coordination really gets to the crux of the problem. And it's fixing this systemic failure that we're trying to contribute to in the longer term with our project. So why is all this political? Well, I think that I've started to touch on that in the last couple of slides already. Um, through the research and examples that I've shared with you, the problem would appear to be one of ownership and coordination to some degree, which are two highly politicized factors. As the cartoon at the beginning of the presentation implied, the creation of new standards also creates new competition. So 14 standards became 15 competing standards. Um, whilst this may be positive in some instances, particularly in the private sector where you want greater competition, uh, it's not always necessarily conducive to sustainable development processes as it can encourage organizations and governments to hold their data and their standards in silos and to avoid trying to address some of the bigger systemic challenges. Um, that exist. I think another important point um, on why this is a political issue more than anything else is the fact that money is involved, especially the fact that public money is involved. As soon as public money is involved in a problem, it's automatically a political problem. Um, who's going to bear the costs of changing systems, of making these system-wide changes? I think that's quite an important um, point that, that also highlights why this is a political problem. You know, going back to a very broad point, I mean, the answer to the whole question of why this is political may, you know, clearly lies in the question of why has this not already happened? The problem is that the answer to that varies depending on the case, and there isn't one concrete solution. Speaking of solutions, though, at our very first project event at the Open Government Partnership Summit in Mexico City last year, the first question that we were asked by an audience member was, how do you overcome the politics to join up data standards? As Rupert, um, my CEO at Publish What You Fund, pithily put it then, uh, we need to build a coalition of parties who gain from interoperability. I think 
that that's still fundamentally the right approach. The problem is, though, that that's not simple. Different actors and stakeholders have different incentives for change, and understanding their needs and what their incentives are uh, is a first step, particularly for us trying to, to help generate this change. Alongside that, continuing to produce research that highlights specific challenges and also offers to start an open and honest discussion on what solutions could look like is critical to, for us continuing to build up the evidence base that we need to support our efforts. And you know, working in collaboration with others such as Development Gateway and other projects which exist, Budeshi in Nigeria, to name one off the top of my head, um, and building those coalitions of actors who don't necessarily have a vested interest in standards themselves but want to help promote a systemic change um, is also very important. In the immediate future, through our consultation process, we're hoping to try and build consensus um, between international standard-setting institutions, states, and other actors that, in principle at least, new standards should be joined up. Um, we want to try and go beyond principles, though, uh, as I've mentioned already. And on the screen, you'll see that these are basically some of our consultation questions, which we set out in our consultation paper. Um, they're very much geared in that direction. You know, do we need specific guidance and principles for those setting new standards that set out interoperability considerations that they should consider? Do we need global leadership to bring together the seemingly ever-increasing number of new standards and data being generated? Um, if so, what would that look like? Who should be involved? Who shouldn't be involved? Um, these are some of the issues that we're currently considering and hoping that others, including many in this room, will help us to, to think about um, by responding to our consultation paper. I think just to sum up now, ultimately, the change that I'd love to see happen in the next four or five years, perhaps, maybe that's being a bit too ambitious, is that when new standards are being contemplated, um, there's a process in place where those who want to create new standards step back and think, am I replicating something that already exists? What am I adding that's really new to the, to the ecosystem? What metadata classifications am I using? Are they compatible with what's already out there? What impact will this have on those who I'm expecting to have to collect this data and use it? I think those considerations are, are really important when new standards are set, and it's that kind of long-term change that we're hoping to try and contribute to. And I think that if this happens, we could start to see a real difference um, and convergence in the way that development data is gathered and used. Thank you. Uh, hi, Paul Cannon, Data for Good. Um, it seems then in what you're talking about that, that the, um, which would be wonderful, the, the classic problems that, that people dealing with data all over the world are dealing with, um, the lack of data capability, doesn't seem to exist in the world that you've just described. It sounds like that's already there and it's just a case of sorting out the standards. Um, in my experience, in, in, in across countries, fields, industries, there is a, a woeful lack of data capability. And until that's addressed, then nothing else is, is it, it doesn't matter what we're doing above that if we don't have that base, uh, basic data capability um, throughout organizations from the very, very bottom. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I'm sorry if that didn't come through um, necessarily as strongly as it, as it could in the presentation. I think that goes back to the point that I was trying to make about um, the competing interest when it comes to, re to recording data, when it comes to what international organizations want in terms of results data and what's actually needed at a subnational level. 
what, what I was trying to say there is that by donors requesting certain information over other information, they're disincentivizing the collection of data that is needed, and it's not, it's not adding to the capability that's needed. Uh, I, I get that, but I think there's, um, I don't even think that people who are running projects understand the impact that, of how they collect data um, in, in the wider sense. So there, there isn't this sort of joined up data thinking yet, and, and people don't, uh, from policymakers down, they don't appreciate the impact of how they collect data on everything else. Um, and if we just look at everything, in, as you say, in silos, what data do I need locally to deliver my project is, is insufficient. It's how does the data that I collect locally to implement my project affect the wider ecosystem? So very often what we do is we lack granularity. We, we pass information to suit our purposes without thinking in the wider sense of how this data could be used elsewhere. So, I mean, in, in a sense, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of collecting as much data as you can and throwing away as little as you can. But speak to me at a privacy meeting and I will be telling you something completely different. So again, I think there's a very, very big issue to be, to be dealt here. And until we get people talking about the intricacies of collecting data, um, we, we really increase data literacy, then, then I don't see we're going to solve this problem, whether in the development field or, or any other. I mean, just to comment on that, I mean, that, that I agree. And what would be helpful um, from our perspective, as I said, we're currently, you know, we're building up responses on this we're building up people's thoughts on this and you know we have this captured now in a live stream so i'm happy to filter that into into our consultation paper but i'd urge you to strongly you know to write to us with those thoughts because you know all of this is worth capturing and it forms part of the broader discussion that we're trying to promote we're not trying to come here with all the answers we have our specific research that we've been doing to highlight certain challenges and what we're aiming to do in the longer term is exactly this start this conversation because a lot of people are looking at interoperability maybe in particular circumstances, but no one's taking, to our knowledge at least, a more holistic approach and looking at things in a, in a system-wide way. So please do provide us with more detailed comments. We welcome it. Actually, dovetailing right on that, so I'm uh, Leah Gergely-Webb from Networked Planet, and we're looking for partners right now. We, we think that there's plenty of funding available for projects that will allow us to develop um, linked data sets out of open data and using divergent sets, so from different actors, and we've um, developed programs for bringing them together in addition to um, training for uh, Im improving the quality of data. Um, so we've, we've joined up, I'm a policy analyst and an impact evaluator by training, not a techie, but we've joined up that side of the data collection and data education with um, linking data. And we are getting ready to launch the first projects. And there is a lot of funding out there. We've just announced this week that we're looking for partners to, to launch the first projects. And as we proceed then, these conversations and this will bubble up, will become more granular, um, and there will be a lot more chance to, to deal with it. So um, there was, uh, the announcement is out there on the web. 
for partners to apply. Um, but it's it's exciting time and things are happening. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It is an exciting time. I think the, the last year in particular, 2015, has seen some changes in this sphere which uh, are quite new. So, for instance, you have the Open Data Charter with its principle four, which I think for the first time actually really encapsulates the principle of the need for interoperability and comparability between open data standards in quite a comprehensive way. Um, and that, that has driven some discussion. I think within the official community at the international level as well, there have been new commitments within the Addis Ababa outcome agenda um, from the Financing for, for Development Conference. There's a strong, there's a recognition, at least I wouldn't necessarily say strong commitment, but there's a recognition of the need for it. Um, and there is increasingly this understanding that, hang on, we've got loads of data, but how do we actually make best use of it? Because there's far too much for us to, to just kind of go through part by part. And we, it's more valuable if it's holistic. Uh, hi, Helen McNally, SPEND Network. Um, just was wondering, I think it kind of fits into the uh, point made over there, um, a bit about your cartoon showed there's 14 different data standards. Let's create a new one. Let's get 15. But actually, when you look at sometimes at how data standards are used in practice, if they're used by people who aren't particularly data literate, then every single one of those 14 will have about 100 different versions of it. So you end up with 14, 140 different data, sorry, maths out the window, but you know, 1400 different data standards, and then you end up with more and more and more. Um, I was wondering, how do you see first education about data literacy fitting into your plan and also enforcement of existing standards? How does that fit in? These are interesting questions that I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't really considered yet. I mean, they, they don't fall within the scope necessarily of this stage of the project where we're really just starting to take a look at what, what exists and what's out there. Um, I mean, they have to be part of the discussion. And this is one of the suggestions that we're making in our consultation paper is that do we need a, a checklist for new standards? And that's one of the things that we suggested some considerations that should be in place already. And I think that that, that could potentially help. So, you know, when, uh, when people are setting new standards and when they're, they're think or thinking about it, they have this kind of this guidance that they can go to which is internationally recognized and which that they, they should follow, ideally. Because at the moment, it doesn't seem to exist. And someone please correct me if I'm wrong. If, if there is guidance out there which we're not looking at, I'd love to see it and to see whether it is just a, an enforcement issue rather than a lack of its existing issue. Hi, um, Mark Harvey from Resurgence. Um, on this question of accountability, particularly in aid-related financing, there's been this sort of, I think, uh, through processes like the, the World Humanitarian Summit, in the humanitarian sector, the, the really pushing pushing the principle that the accountability should go to affected communities um, as much as it should go back in terms of tracking tracking public funding from uh, from Europe and the U.S. etc. I'm just wondering how engaged sort of southern organisations are in this kind of very strategic piece of the picture, which is which is the um, the interoperability standard setting. But arguably, they, they should be, if you're talking about aid financing, because, because of this new sort of, I think, view of accountability that it needs to look actually at, at you know, the, the, the interests of recipients as partners and how it serves them. So I'm just wondering where that 
is in your th thinking because there is a new dynamic around this i think that's that's clearly emerged it's happening in the climate space as well climate financing and i just wonder whether that is sort of part of your vision at least even if you know you haven't got them at the table at the moment the way that i think about the same problem well not problem but the way i, I think about the same changes which are taking place is that the sustainable development goals actually offer an opportunity in this respect because what they're doing is they're shifting the burden of responsibility for compiling and reporting data onto states themselves rather than un agencies so then i think the question you're getting to is how do you then hold them to account at a national level that is a very broad question um we we're we're currently speaking to a number of actors from, from various places. We're talking to statistics offices in uh, the Global South. We're talking to civil society projects in the Global South. Um, but we haven't had this type of conversation yet. Um, as I mentioned in the presentation, we'll be holding a series of events in the next few months to try and get people to engage with our consultation process and to respond. And we're very aware of the fact that we need to hold, you know, a number of events in the global south to bring people on board and to actually work out who's in this space and what's going on. It's not something that we've done yet, but we're we're aware of the need that the you know these voices actually have to lead this ultimately when it comes to the accountability side at least. What we're looking at for the time being is uh, the international level. So what are the standards like at the international level? But I must say that one of the things that we've realized over this past year is that that focus on the international doesn't really make sense on its own. And we do also have to look at the national and subnational level as well. And we're starting to do that gradually. And a lot more of our work plan for the year ahead is focused on research at that level. And I'm hoping that that will offer opportunities for us to scope this, <laughs> this ecosystem of organizations and make some partners. Yeah. But I, I, at the moment, it's not something we've got around to. Um, I have a question. So there are lots of different people in this room from different kinds of backgrounds. Um, it strikes me that there'll be lots of different actors that need to to input into this kind of initiative in order for it to work in the long term. What would be your kind of wish list for different groups in industries, say business or startups or governments or even organizations like the ODI to support this kind of program? Okay, that's an interesting question. So I think that the, uh, let's take a, a couple of categories. So you have you have governments, you have international institutions and let's say the private sector. Um, so in terms of governments, what I'd like to see from developing country governments is that they continue to push and demand for um, standards that serve their needs over international organizations' needs first and foremost. What I'd like to see from uh, developed state governments is an understanding of why that's important uh, and them working together with international organizations to help uh, amend the way that things are done and to really to focus on building up capacity as it's needed. When it comes to um, the private sector, that's interesting. And again, this isn't a contingency that we've engaged with hugely yet. But what I, I think as a first step, I'd be really interested to hear their perspective on, on what we're doing. Um, and also, if possible, I'd, great, I'd love to know how they gather their data, what standards they use for their data, and if possible, um, for them to map their classification systems into our online thesaurus so that we can see how they match up with things that are used by the UN or the OECD. I think that would be really interesting. Um, I haven't had any conversations about that yet, but uh, yeah, if I ever get the opportunity, that's what, that's what I would say.
sorry, this this is I'm this is not really. It's a, feel free to answer this, but I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I guess is the the preface to that. Um, I recently did some work with a guy called Jadeep Prabhu on comparing um, how we treat funding um, for overseas aid within, uh, as opposed to national funding of things. Um, and we focused on the, um, the Rural Support Programs Network in Pakistan um, and compared that with the funding of the NHS. And, and what we found was the most colossal double standards. So I guess publish what you fund uh, the global campaign for age transparency. Is there a need for a, a global campaign for national transparency spending too? Which is why I'm not going to put you on the spot. <laughs> but I'd be really interested in, in, in if, if anyone's really thought about this, because I was very, very surprised when we looked into it, just the gulf between the two. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't have an answer, <laughs> but uh, I'd be interested in looking at the research, actually. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Let's let's all join me in thanking Tom for his really interesting talk. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.